You're listening to audio from The Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about The Village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. This is John chapter 12, verse 44. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated and children can be dismissed to their classes. Good morning. Morning. Uh, my name is Scott. I'm one of the pastors here of the village. It's good to be with you all today. We get to close out uh, our sermon series through the first chunk of John today. Super excited to do that. Before we uh, begin, would you pray with me? God, we give you thanks today that we get to sing of your faithfulness and your goodness, uh, your promises to us, and the fact that you keep your promises to us. And I pray this morning, uh, just as we sang, that you would set our feet towards you, that you would set our hearts and our heads uh, to run towards you because you have first pursued and sought after us for all of human history and certainly in Christ. And we get to see that today as we dwell here in uh, this little chunk of John chapter 12. And so uh, we offer uh, our time, our hearts, our minds, our souls to you, offer my words to you uh, this morning. Um, All that we are, all that we do, uh, I pray that you would encourage us, build us up in Christ, even if that means tearing down our hearts first. We love you. Thanks so much for your goodness to us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, so uh, in high school, uh, I, was a, I was a theater kid. Um, a friend of mine, uh, Kate, she basically like peer pressured me into helping out my freshman year uh, backstage with some stuff. And then later, sophomore year, I did some more backstage stuff, like set stuff, uh, lights, curtains, all of that, uh, Godspell. Uh, we did that uh, my sophomore year. And then I played Frank Sinatra uh, in a one-act play that like one of our uh, high school English teachers wrote, and I was uh, opposite of Aquaman uh, in that. It's, it was super weird, uh, but it was really funny. Uh, in my junior year, I, I played uh, Fiedka uh, on Fiddler on the Roof. Uh, my senior year, I played uh, Hugo in Bye Bye Birdie. Uh, I got to like punch the Elvis character in that, which was pretty great. Uh, and then a buddy of mine, we actually got to uh, kind of write and direct a one-act play honor and it was super fun we were all in by my senior year like all of my friend group was like in uh, had had joined the theater stuff and so we just had a ball uh together it was great 
But one thing that I never really like understood, whether I was backstage or on stage or whatever, was at the very beginning of every musical on like a performance night, we would all just sit there in the dark with like the curtain closed, the audience was ready, even after everybody was set, everything was ready to go, and the orchestra would just play music for what felt like an eternity, like while, while nothing was happening uh, at all. It was probably only like 90 seconds, uh, but, but it felt like forever. Like it was just to give the musicians something to do or like to give them the spotlight for a minute before everyone like paid attention to what was happening on the stage. But as I've, I've gotten older, uh, I've watched Miami Valley Ballet Theater's uh, Christmas production of The Nutcracker uh, year after year at the Fairfield Community Arts Center um, because Mabel and Vera, uh, my two daughters, they've been, uh, they've been in that for years. Vera in particular, like, dances her thing, and so that's what they do every Christmas. Uh, and, and at the beginning of the ballet, every single year, uh, the director comes out and welcomes us, and after that, the lights go down. You hear, like, kids scuffling uh, on the stage behind the curtain. You just... You just sit there as stuff's getting ready and listen to an orchestra play again for what feels like forever. And now I know that that's called an overture. I didn't know that was a thing. Uh, an overture, and you can, someone will probably correct me after this or whatever, an overture is a, a piece of music uh, that you play at the beginning of a production, and it's like meant to establish the tone and the musical themes, the motifs or whatever of, of whatever it is that you are about to watch or listen to. They, they're different pieces of music from the whole performance that's been stitched and woven together, kind of one just flowing into, into the other one to make one piece of music. And the more times that I've seen the Nutcracker, uh, the more songs that then I, I recognize when I hear the overture each year. Like, oh yeah, like that's from that one part, or, or this little piece, like that's from when that happens later on uh, in the musical. And so uh, to, to the point where like the, that one instrumental bit at the beginning brings to mind the big picture of the entire story before the curtain ever even opens. What once seemed like a waste of time is now like pretty cool. Like it's pretty impressive that someone can weave all that stuff together and it's actually now like really helpful in preparing me for the story that I'm about to watch but honestly like probably forgot chunks of since last Christmas. One thing I read said this, uh, an overture is an introduction into something more substantial. Like which kind of makes sense, right? Like no one's no one's going to go to like Les Mis, buy tickets, hear the overture, right? First two minutes or whatever, and then be like, cool, I, I heard everything I need to hear, saw everything I need to see, I'm out. And like, you just don't stick around for the whole production. Or like, you watch a really cool trailer for a really great movie, right? And then you just, but you just never go see it. You're like, oh, I've seen everything I need to see, and so that's it. And maybe if they put all the good parts in the trailer, maybe that's true. Uh, but by and large, like, no, you, you go see the movie. They're meant to whet your appetite. They're, they're getting you ready for something even bigger and better, something more substantial, right, that's on the way. Today, the curtains are closing on our series in John. We'll have a, an intermission of sorts until we come back probably next year to, to finish out the book. And yet the words of Jesus in today's focal passage, uh, even though they're, they're closing something out, they are actually an overture to what is about to happen in Jesus' story. If you've been with us for a while, you're not going to hear a lot of brand new stuff from Jesus. Like he seems to be repeating some of his greatest hits that we have already heard throughout John. But Jesus, Jesus isn't reminding his hearers of what he's already said just for the sake of not forgetting the past. He's trying to prepare them for something more substantial that is lying ahead. Jesus' words today are an overture uh, 
that stitches together motifs of belief and rejection, light and dark, eternal life and judgment, father and the son, themes of what he has already said, kind of just crammed into seven verses. And all of that stuff, everything is meant to kind of uh, look forward with anticipation of his last meal, his betrayal, his arrest, his uh, eventual death and resurrection, all that stuff that's like right around the corner. When we open the curtains on John again, that's what we are going to see. And he wants his hearers, including us, to be ready for it. So that just as the title of our series throughout John uh, has said that you may believe. And that by believing, we would have eternal life. And so our, our main idea this morning is this, that Jesus kept his father's words so that we would have eternal life. Pretty simple, pretty basic, and we'll kind of trace that idea uh, by observing how Jesus wants us to see the big picture, how he wants us to keep his words, and how he wants us to live forever. And so we'll start with our first point this morning, which is this, that Jesus wants us to see the big picture. Uh, read the first three verses of today's text again. Uh, this is John 12, 44 through 46. It says, uh, Jesus cried out. And said, whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. In other words, things are not as they seem, right? And Jesus came to help us see things as they really are. Uh, it might surprise you that there are, are missionaries that, that actually, like, like tens of thousands of missionaries that actually come here uh, to the United States. Like, it's hard to pin down a number, uh, but one, one point of data I, I dug up from 2010 said that uh, Mexico received 8,000 missionaries, India received 8,000, the UK got 10,000, Russia got 20,000, but the USA received 32,000 missionaries in 2000. And 10. Not sure what the number is for that today because of all the stuff going on around the globe, but, but they're not all coming here because it's like land of the free, you know, home of the brave. We've got cheeseburgers and stuff, although I'm sure that doesn't help. Missionaries come here because from the outside, they see something about us, about our, our country or maybe even the state of our churches, and they think, man, they, they really need someone to bring them good news. Like, there's something that they're missing that we from maybe Africa or, or the UK or South Korea, wherever, like, there's something that they're not seeing that we might be able to help them see, not as political scientists or social activists or experts in their culture or whatever, but as outsiders who get the gospel, we might be able to shed some light and bring some hope and help them see life in light of Christ. Even a, a block and a half away, <clears throat> there's a, a church plant. Uh, inspiring Hope Church who planted here uh, in the middle of the pandemic stuff. Um, and a lot of the folks, including the lead pastor, Ben Mangrum, he's like a, he's a great dude. Uh, he and a crew came here from, from Oklahoma. He came here from, from Oklahoma because the spirit seemed to think that Hamilton needs some help from outsiders from Oklahoma. Now, like, that might be offensive to our sensibilities, right? Like, we... Like, we don't need help. We don't need help from Oklahoma. 
Right? Like, we, we can figure it out on our own. Look, look at our libraries, look at, look at our podcasts, look at who we're following or look who's following us. Look at our church and our groups and our, our teams, our kids' ministry. Look at our like, electric, digital, graphically designed stuff and our well-resourced people. Like, sorry that you came all this way, like, but I think we're doing okay. We don't like to be told that we're blind, but that's exactly what Jesus is telling us here. We, we are blind. There are some things that we just don't see. And so Jesus, as he's already said in John, he has shown up as a light to help us see in the dark. Jesus is so much more than a, a missionary, but he's not less than a missionary from heaven. Like someone like really from outside, not just Oklahoma. Like to help us see heavenly things that apart from him we just would not see. He's the light of the world. And what he points us to here specifically is that when we see or hear, even believe in him, it's not only Jesus that we're seeing or hearing or believing, it's the Father too. We, we may not see the Father on our own, but what we see in Jesus is what we get with the Father. We, uh, it's, it's not too uncommon for, for some of us to like pit uh, the God of the Old Testament against the God of the New Testament like the grumpy God who floods the earth and he sends plagues, he swallows people up by splitting the earth open and, uh, and has his people like spill blood and even spills then their blood. That grumpy God, like we like to pit against like the God of grace who, who died for our enemies. Or we, we treat the son and the father as if they play like good cop, bad cop, right? Like the father like busts down the door and like points fingers and starts making accusations and uh, takes the light and shines on you, all that stuff. And the son comes and is like, whoa, pops, like, like, let's just give him a minute or whatever and offers us to, like, get us a drink from the vending machine uh, or something. That's, that's kind of how we sometimes think about, about God, like the Father and the Son, but that couldn't be further from the truth. We have a, a Trinitarian faith, Father and the Son and the Spirit, three persons and one God. And it, it, if you're a Christian, like, that's who we worship. And, and they are all on the same page in perfect unity and in perfect harmony, and they have been from eternity past and will be into eternity future. What Jesus is saying is that if you're hearing my words and you're seeing what I'm doing and on board, like with my ministry, then you're not just hearing the Father like I'm an echo, right, or seeing him like he's a copy of him or something. He's saying that if you buy into what I'm telling you, then you are buying into what the Father has been saying and doing among God's people from the very first book of the Bible right up until now. Jesus' work is the Father's work. His purposes are the Father's purposes. Jesus might be uh, coming to fulfill a, a brand new covenant, a new way to like have a relationship with God on a foundation that's built on grace and faith uh, that's satisfied by God himself and, and not us. But Jesus hasn't come to give, give us a, a new God, a new shinier, better, nicer version uh, of God. He's come to fulfill old promises, not make new ones. He's come to fulfill old promises that the father already made. His promises to Noah and Abraham, Jacob uh, and Joseph, Moses and David, all the things that, that God's people have been hanging on to through periods of suffering and sin and silence. It's like Emmy read for us this morning, right? In the, the call to worship, all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. Jesus isn't connecting himself to the Father just because their personality profiles are similar. 
Like, like if you like Jesus, oh, you like the Father too. It, he, he's connecting himself to all that the Father is and all that the Father is about. And he doesn't trust us to make that connection on our own. Like I, I don't think I have to, uh, I don't think I have to convince anyone here in this room that, that the world is not as it should be. Like whether or not you're a Christian, you, you'd probably say that, that there's a way that things should be, and then there's a way that the things like really are in the world right now. Uh, you and others that you know suffer. You do things that you know you shouldn't, and you don't do things that you know uh, that you should. You might say that there's evil in the world. You long for purpose, right? As if you were put here for a reason, whether, you would, whether you're like suffering under the weight of feeling like you've missed that, like you've screwed it up, you've missed the boat, or feeling like, man, you've kind of figured it out, like you're right where you're supposed to be. Or maybe you think that like no one has put you here for any reason whatsoever, but, but like in the void, you've still made up your own meaning for life. So I, I try not to assume too much but I feel safe in assuming that that kind of like describes everyone inside and outside of this room. And there wouldn't be much disagreement. But this is as far as we can naturally see. And it's just like a tiny sliver of what Jesus actually wants to show us. The Apostle Paul, he, he put it this way. Since the creation of the world... God's invisible attributes like his like eternal power, his divine nature, they've been clearly perceived by everyone, even by those who hate God when they see the things that God made. Right? He says that, that when those who have never read the Bible before, never heard the Ten Commandments, never heard of the law, when they naturally do what God would say is right, like they become a law unto themselves. Even though like they don't have God's law in their hands or in their heads, they show that the work of God's law is written on their hearts. Their conscience bears witness to some like absolute universal good and evil that, that seems to exist right and wrong. And they have, they have conflicting thoughts that either end up accusing them or trying to like excuse them for the wrongdoing, what they've done, what they, they didn't do. This is kind of part of Romans 1 and 2, the beginning of Paul's letter. In other words, like everyone that you know, including yourselves, Christian or non-Christian, lives in light of God's creation and our fall. God made everything and meant everything for good. But what he made, including ourselves, rebel against him and against his goodness and against his creation. And there's not a person that you'll meet who doesn't know that, even if they would never use those words in a million years. Every person on this planet is a sinner and a sufferer and an image bearer of the one who made them trying to get by in a world that is not as it should be. But what everyone on this planet doesn't know and what Jesus came to help us see isn't just a, not just a few years of a guy like teaching some stuff and doing a couple miracles and changing some lives or whatever written down and like just kept for us to be inspired by or to teach us some moral lessons. There's a story there is an, an arc to human history. And whether you're a, a first century Jew who, who knew your Old Testament inside and out, or you're a 21st century American who like just wants to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, Jesus doesn't want you to see him and his ministry as a spiritual novelty. 
or as a self-help product. He wants us to see in him our redemption, our hope of, of seeing and setting everything set right, beginning to be fulfilled in all that he's already said and all that he's about to do in John, on the cross and in his resurrection and in his ascension. And he wants us to see it as a continuation, as a progression, as the, the next act in the story that he and the Father and the Spirit have been writing and directing and performing together ever since before the foundation of the world. It's not an accident that the Gospel of John begins, as we read our first Sunday in this series, with this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God which echoes just the very first verse in the very first book of the Bible with Jesus as, as the conductor orchestrating the creation of the universe that he would one day redeem and reign over. But on our own, we are blind to that story. Creation, fall, redemption, new creation. And we can be offended by that, like that we're blind to stuff by our blindness, by We'd be offended by missionaries traveling here, like from around the world, or church planters coming to Hamilton from, from Oklahoma, right? Or God himself having to come to us because we don't see things clearly. We don't have it all. We're not self-sufficient. We're not all sufficient to save ourselves or our city. We'd be offended by that. Like, or we could feel seen and we could feel known and loved and pursued because the light of the world didn't leave us in the dark. He didn't leave us to our own devices to just perish in the fall, stumbling blindly towards our death. Jesus doesn't want his audience or us to miss how he's going to bring to pass the big picture of our redemption and the very real things that are about to take place. Like crazy, wild, unexpected things that have been, have been part of the Father's plan from the very beginning. Because we're blind, Jesus wants to help us see all of that, but not just, not just to see it for seeing its sake, but to get ready for something more substantial. Belief. Be- because, because whoever believes in him and, and what he's about to do won't remain in darkness. That's what he says. It's not enough to just see what Jesus is saying here. Jesus wants us to receive it, and he wants us to keep every single Word, And that is our second point this morning, that Jesus wants us to keep his word. We'll look at the next two verses in our passage this morning. It's John 12, 47 through 48. Jesus says this, If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I don't judge him. For I didn't come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and doesn't receive my words has a judge. The word, the word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. Or to say it another way, hearing the words of Jesus is different than keeping the words of Jesus. Seeing Jesus in the big picture, that is, that's one thing. But how we live in light of that, that is something else entirely. And it makes all the difference in the world. He gives us two options. We can reject him and his words, or we can receive him. And his words. Those are the two options. Uh, there's something that, like, especially after being gone on sabbatical, that I've thought about, and it's probably going to make me sound like a an old, like, fuddy-duddy, like, curmudgeon-y old man or whatever. But uh, I think it's fair. 
Uh, and, and that's this assumption that if you've, if you've posted something on social media, then I should know about it. Like, like throwing something on Instagram or Facebook or TikTok or whatever, like that's the same thing as actually like telling me about stuff in your life. Like people I know had babies. Like they changed future plans. Crazy stuff happened to them in their life. And they just kind of like dropped it in conversation just casually as if like, like I knew what was going on or whatever. And so like I'm now in the position when I'm standing there of either pretending like, yeah, like I, I knew about that. Like, how's that going? You know, while my mind is like whirling a million miles a minute or, or uh, I, I get to make someone feel like so unimportant in my life. And like I'm so out of touch with kids these days that like that, that I don't get a notification every time they post something. It's like a lose-lose situation. And, and being gone on sabbatical and then like seeing a million people all of a sudden just kind of made me all the more sure that we are like, we're slowly exchanging, I think, personal, intentional back and forth conversation with like impersonal advertisements for us that we like just throw on the internet, on, rap, on apps, like run by, by algorithms, right? Hoping that someone will see them. And if that makes me a grumpy old man, right, then you can call me on the phone. Or you can schedule an in-person meetup with me. I would love to hear all about it, right? <laughs> the reality is, like, like, you should assume that folks are going to live their life as if they didn't know about that bombshell that you shared online. Because, like, that's not the same as you actually telling someone in person. But for those of us in this room, like, especially if you've been in this room with us, like, over and over and over again, like, we have to be aware of the opposite problem. Like, w- we have heard the same kinds of things, the same words, the same stories, different books, like different chapters, different verses, different series and studies and all the things, but the same kinds of things over and over and over again, and, and yet we live as if we've like never heard them before. We're called to receive and to keep, to, like to retain and to live in light of all of Jesus' words. And, and many of us in the church, we see them, like, just like we see things on the side of the road flying by us while we're speeding down the highway, like neighborhoods and, and outlet malls and Cracker Barrels and all the stuff, whatever, as, as we're on our way to someplace else. But it's one thing to say, like, yeah, I, I see that, because you're flying down the highway at 70 miles per hour. And it's, it's another thing to be so captivated by it that you actually pull over and you, you get out and you go in. Maybe you decide to, like, to move there. The, the words of Jesus, if we hear them for what they really are and, and who they're really from, they're not something that you just drive by once a day. If that. Maybe even just like once a week. Maybe right now is your drive-by. I have no idea. His words aren't something to glance at. If you can like squeeze one or two verses in between sips of coffee like, or meetings or or chores or whatever, the words of Jesus are a place that we live. Like it's the place that we live from. His words, like not just the big picture, but like the nitty gritty, they are the reality that we inhabit. And they shape, they inform how we are to inhabit that world. While we're getting our kids ready for school, like while we're doing chores, while we're on our way to work, while we're in a meeting, while we're in arguments, like whatever it happens to be everywhere, Jesus gives himself and his words to receive and to keep for every part of our day. But the reality is that many of us find Jesus and what he has to say boring, stale, irrelevant. Either like they're too basic 
or they're way too complicated. Either way, like they're unhelpful in my life in 2022. Maybe you wish that like someday you'd show up here and you'd hear something more important than something about Jesus. I, I don't know, like as if Jesus himself and, and his words are an overture to something more substantial that you would rather see or hear about or sing about or let impact your life in some way. And honestly, like that probably says more about us than it does about Jesus. Do any of us feel loved by people who, who say they love us, but then like don't listen to us? Do we believe someone cares about us and we've like poured our life out to them? Maybe poured our life out for them, but they just couldn't seem to care less about anything that we just said. Why do we think our relationship with Jesus is any different? I guess if we can separate what we think about him from what we think about his words or how often we think about them, revisit them, consult them, how highly we esteem them above anybody else's words. We might drive by Jesus a few times a week uh, when, when we have to, or when we have the time, and, and we say, hey, I've seen that before. But Jesus says merely seeing or hearing him without what he has to say, being a part of your life, like that's the same as rejecting him. Jesus equates indifference, or even like polite, passing interest. He equates that with unbelief. And that's like, that's a hard, heavy word. But if we if we take Jesus seriously, as he says that we should, then, then this should give us pause. It should cause us to reflect a little bit. Like, have I seen? Have I heard? Am I bored with Jesus? Am I indifferent? Am I just, am I pretending? Am I playing a part? Am I like just kind of passing by him on my way to what I think is something better? Do I separate him from what he says? And what if I do those things? And Jesus answers us. He says, if anyone hears my words and doesn't keep them, I don't judge him. I didn't come to judge the world, but to save it. Okay. That feels really good. But then he goes on. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. Do you know why Jesus said he, he didn't show up to judge the world? It's because we already have a judge. And that judge is Jesus' own words, all of them. All, all of the words that we've heard, including the ones that we're like reading and talking about right now. Like those, those who don't want to receive what he has to say will be judged by it when he returns to set all things right. I love, absolutely love the fact that Jesus uh, here emphasizes that he didn't show up to rub salt in the wound. All right, like humanity is already on the road to judgment. That's been true since the fall. Like our default, like Michael talked about uh, last week, our default is rejecting God and his word. Apart from his intervention, like that's just kind of where we all are. And so Jesus' ministry now and, and this act of God's story of redemption that we're seeing here in John, it's not just to rub it in. Like it's not to bring some greater condemnation upon us because we couldn't be under any heavier condemnation than we already are. Jesus' ministry is that you'd be spared from that, that you'd see the big picture and also pull off the road and receive him and keep his words and be saved. 
He already said something similar to this earlier in John that might be familiar to you. This is John 3, 16 through 19. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shouldn't perish, but should have eternal life. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him isn't condemned, but whoever doesn't believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Here's the bottom line. The words of Jesus, they will justify you or they will judge you. They will convict you and they will lead you to repentance and belief and new life or they will condemn you to eternal death when your life is laid against all that he has said. The questions then that, that, that we should all be asking is how do I know which one is gonna happen to me? That's the question that we should be asking. The one who came to save us here also calls us to, to keep and receive him and everything that he has ever said. Which seems like a lot. Right? Like, that's quite another heavy, weighty word. How can we possibly give, like, equal attention to all the things that Jesus has said as we fly down the highway, right, on our way to do other stuff, practices and work and school and all the things and have time to like cook dinner and watch TV and all that stuff. That doesn't sound like a place that I would like to live. I don't want to pull off there and stay there. That sounds exhausting. That sounds defeating. How do we not get bored with that or like just give up? There's no way that we don't miss stuff as we're flying down the road, right? That just, that just sounds like that's an impossible thing for us to like, there's just no way that we can't not miss stuff and end up rejecting Jesus in the end if that's what we have to do to be saved. It just sounds impossible. And it is. It is impossible. And Jesus knows that. And the Father knows that. Jesus wants us to see the big picture. Like he, he wants us to keep his words but he didn't come to like dangle a carrot in front of us like on a stick that we would never get. He didn't come to rub salt in a wound that, that would just could never ever be healed to tease us with something that we'd never be able to enjoy. He's not torturing us in, in this impossible situation. He has made a way for our salvation because Jesus wants us to live forever. And what the Lord sets out to do, what he wants Father, Son, and Spirit, they accomplish, even if they have to do it for us. And this is our third point this morning, that Jesus wants us to live forever. Let's read the last two verses of today's focal passage. Jesus says, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Uh, during sabbatical, like I'm not sure what you thought my life looked like uh, while I was gone for 10 weeks, but I know what I thought my life was going to like for 10 weeks and like it just wasn't like that. Like it just did not pan out that way at all. Like even with trying to have some realistic expectations, over, over those two plus months, like I officiated a funeral and a wedding. To you guys. 
We had like weighty, ongoing health stuff with family members. Um, I had friends who like made wrecks of their lives in like very predictable ways. Uh, and I also like got messages from folks that I'm like about stuff. And I'm like, you, but you know, I'm on sabbatical, right? Like, this is not my job right now. I also got like really sweet messages from people just checking in, saying, hey, getting coffee, grabbing lunch or whatever a couple times. Our kids had summer stuff that we had to get them to. Kelly started a part-time job that she's like just crushing right now. Um, I, I got to get away a bit and like just sit and, and read and reflect and write and journal and stuff. And even that was like, it wasn't like the Lord was just like, oh, patting me on the back, massaging my shoulders, like giving me grapes and fanning me with stuff. Like it was like, so in my journal, like 12 days in, like writing a journal or whatever. And I, I wrote this, I've been considering what it looks like to live a, a supernatural life. Like how can I live differently in this world than if I wasn't awake to grace or empowered by the spirit? And then I kind of wrote a just, thoughts, ideas, like what that might look like for me, questions I want to consider. Uh, And then I wrote this after like a laundry list of stuff. This supernatural life starts with confession and repentance. That's what I was noticing as I was writing stuff. Just as life in the spirit begins with repentance and belief, so does it continue. This is day 12 of my journal. That's, that's not where I thought that journal entry was going. Right, that's not where a lot of my journal entries, uh, I, I didn't think they were going to go there, but they took weird turns, like sabbatical in general. Uh, life didn't care that I was on sabbatical. L- life marches on. Rest and renewal, it looked different than I thought that it would, and it took me to places that I was not expecting to go. And in the coming chapters of John, like, Jesus is going to places. His His job is renewal and restoration and redemption and all these things. He's going to places that his followers were not expecting. He was going to die. Like, and not just die, but be handed over to the authorities like a criminal and then publicly executed. Everyone would be confused as the body of the one who was supposed to save them, like whose ministry kicked off with a miracle at a wedding, would seemingly like just end prematurely with a funeral. It, it didn't make any sense. And yet all of this, as Jesus is trying to get us to see today, it was part of the plan all along. Jesus was told what to do. He was told what to say by the one who sent him, the Father. Like the, the Father was giving him orders. Like Jesus was following his orders. Uh, is it weird to anybody else to think of Jesus receiving a commandment from God? Like that idea is not new. Like we know that Jesus was obedient and stuff, but just like the way that it's phrased it's just funny, it just struck me or whatever that like he received a commandment from God, like Blues Brothers, like on a mission from God, you know, or like, like he received top secret like mission impossible instructions uh, or, or an 11th commandment that we didn't get on top of the 10 that we already had or something like, that's just kind of where my brain went. And this, this commandment, as Jesus says, it wasn't something generic. Jesus says that the father told him what to say and what to speak. And in English, that might sound like just two ways of saying the same thing. But in, in the Greek, like in the original language, another way of saying that is like the father told him what to say and how to say it. It's the substance of what he was saying and it was also the tone of what he was saying. So like all those words that he shared, like all of them, what to say and how to say it, all those words that we are supposed to keep that we might be saved, that's what the father gave him. In other words, Jesus said, all that he needed to say. 
exactly the way that he needed to say it in order for the Father's plan of redemption to be fulfilled. We are lacking nothing from Jesus in our salvation. He couldn't have said something better. He couldn't have said something in a better way to make eternal life easier for us to get. We won't be able to blame him. Like when we show up and see him, meet him face to face, we can't point the finger at him and say, if only you would have said it that way. And yet, here we are, like still sitting under the impossible weight of having to keep all the words of Jesus because his words are are also the Father's. Except that we aren't anymore. This commandment for eternal life, like who was it given to? It wasn't given to you and it wasn't given to me. This commandment for eternal life was given to Jesus by the Father. It was his to earn, and it would also be his to give away for free to those who didn't deserve it. Jesus wants us to have eternal life, so he came to save the world, not by showing us the big picture and then like giving us all the words that we need to keep so we could try to earn salvation on our own by ourselves because he knows that that's impossible. He came as the light of the world, already seeing the big picture of redemption himself hearing perfectly every word of the Father himself, keeping the words of the Father himself, the the command to live perfectly under the word of God that condemns us all to die, and the unique command from the Father to clue us in to what his plan of redemption was going to look like and then to accomplish that plan by standing condemned in our place, dying for our sins so that we might live out from under the impossible weight of keeping all of God's law and instead live by grace through faith forever and into eternity. The Father knew that Jesus alone could accomplish this, and we know that he actually did because his tomb is empty. Jesus' tomb is empty. He rose from the dead. He showed up to hundreds of people in resurrected flesh and blood. He rose to take his throne in heaven. He changed the course of human history. He ushered in the next act of God's story once and for all. Jesus saw what we couldn't, and he kept what we can't, and he offers us what we can never in a million years think of trying to earn ourselves eternal life. Jesus' words here and his tip of the hat on his commandment from the Father, it is an overture for something more substantial that's about to happen. It's the purchase of our redemption. You know what the, the through line was for me over those like those 10 weeks from, from blessing uh, a new marriage to leading a graveside like burial ceremony to dudes weeping and broken like over their sin in my front yard to me repenting of mine quietly in my little journal. Like the constant and all of that was Jesus and his words. Not because of all that he told me to do, not in a, a constant frenzied checklist to like get it all right, to, to say all the right things and do all the right things at all the right times and all of the right ways, but in absolute dependence on the freedom of knowing that Jesus already got it all right for me. Right? And every person around me, he did that for them as well. At every occasion, grieving and celebrating and mourning and mad at themselves and processing bad news, all of the stuff, Jesus, the one who wants me to receive the big picture, 
Like he saw me first for exactly who I was even before I did. The one who told me to receive him, like he received me first in my sin, in my suffering, just as I was. The one who told me to keep all of his words, he keeps me always, even when I treat him as if like everything else is more important than him. And he sees and he receives and he keeps you too. If when you see him and you hear him, you receive him and you keep his words and you make him your home, which on on this side of the cross and the empty tomb, it means first and foremost, taking Jesus at his word, that it's his job to save you and that he did. He didn't just make it possible. He accomplished every last bit of it that you might get to follow him freely. Jesus wants you to have eternal life and he kept his father's words so that we would. Three quick hitters as we end, not, not just end the sermon, but end kind of this series, which is, again, appropriately retitled, uh, appropriately titled that, that you may believe. One, his invitation is urgent. All right, remember the, the father told Jesus not just what to say, but like how to say it. Like, and, and he told Jesus to cry out every word that we read today. That's how this focal passage begins in verse 44. He cried out. This isn't a whisper. It's a wake-up call. If you've not yet understood where you stand before the Lord, like apart from Jesus, under the weight, the impossible weight of sin, then, then he is begging you to believe. And he's already done the work. He's already shown us everything that we need to know. Will you receive him as he is? And take him at his word that, that your sins are forgiven and that you have the promise of eternal life sure in Christ. Secondly, that eternal life starts today. Whether today's the first day that you have believed or it's the 10,000th day that you've believed, eternal life, it has already begun for you. You're a new creation in Christ. The spirit is within you. You're reconciled to God. Eternal life doesn't just kick in when you kick the bucket. Like you get to live unafraid of death, unashamed of your past, freed from the guilt of the worst things that you have ever done in your entire life and fully loved and accepted by a perfect and holy father. If you're bored by Jesus or his words, right? If discipleship seems uninteresting, if you'd rather do anything else, right, then like talk about spiritual stuff or talk about Jesus. It could be that you've never believed or it could just be that you just don't know that the life that you're living right now in Christ won't stop when your body gives up, right? There's no spiritual blessing that isn't already yours in Christ. So we get to take risks. We get to repent. We get to love people like our dad's the most powerful, merciful, generous one that there is because he is. Like, what would it look like if you actually lived as if the gospel was true? Because it is. And then thirdly, you get to respond right now. There's nothing else that you have to do. No hurdles you have to jump through, right? No hoops. After hearing the word preached, we, we make room in our gatherings to respond to whatever it is that the Spirit might be stirring in you today. And there are a few ways that you guys can do that. Van, you guys can come up. There'll be some questions up on the screen. If you just want to sit and quietly reflect and think about what you've heard, like read those, 
let the Lord interact with you as you're chewing on that stuff. If you want to pray, you can sit in your seats and pray. There'll be folks back there by that red tree that would love to pray with you. I'll be back there with my wife, would love to pray with you as well. It doesn't have to be about salvation. It can be about anything in your life. But if you want to trust Jesus, would love to talk with you about that too. We are here to pray for you and to pray with you. Uh, you can sing with the band as they lead us in worship through song. That is a wonderful response to what we heard today, what Jesus has done for us. And lastly, there's communion. So uh, there's uh, bread and juice up here. There are individual cups. You can come up here. If you're a believer, if you're someone who is, is trusting in Jesus, we invite you to come up and take uh, the bread and the juice. The, the bread, the, the broken crackers represent the body of Christ that was broken for us. The juice representing the blood of Christ that was, bro- that was shed for us on the cross that we know for sure when you come up here, you're declaring that it's in Christ, his life and his death and his resurrection, that you have peace and eternal life with God. And so that is for every believer in this room this morning. If you would stop and sit and reflect, repent of your sin and come up with a clean conscience to rejoice in what God has done, this is for you today. If you're not a believer here, then communion's not for you, but we are for you and Jesus is for you. We would love to talk with you about that as well. So that's what the next few minutes will look like. I want to invite you to respond. Uh, and if you would, please pray with me. God, we thank you so much for your word. Not just because it illuminates truth and tells us what we should know and shows us things that we ought to have seen before or stuff that we should have done and didn't do and all that stuff, God, you, but you reveal that to us that we might know your great and wonderful mercy and grace in our life, that we might know our great need for you. So Father, I pray that you would break our hearts this morning, that you would break our lives open that as we've been listening to this, if, if there is something unsettled in us, that we would seek reconciliation with other people. God, if there is sin that we need to repent of, that we would do that. And if there is a part of our life that you're just screaming at us for, that we are not living in line with the gospel, we're not believing what's true, then God, would you just help us figure that out? Would you reveal to us the goodness and the truth that's there, the good news that you want us to live from and out of? Because that good news is already true for us. And Father, if there are people in here this morning that have never met you before, maybe have seen you in passing by, but have never actually received you and kept you for who you are to take you at your word, that Jesus has reconciled us to you, then Father, I pray that, that they would do that today. And we get to rejoice with them and lead them up here in communion together and celebrate in the good work that you've done and finished on the cross. God, I pray that everyone in this room might believe that the reason John wrote his gospel would break forth and be true of every single person in this room. God, we ask that because you're a good, generous, all-powerful dad. We trust in Jesus, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen.